to the next episode of Out From The Cube, and this is the first episode where we actually have somebody talking, offering an opinion and advice and some strategies other than myself. So it's episode six, um, and we're bringing in Josh King. Josh King is a friend of mine that I work with at Polaris Solutions, and uh, the reason I wanted to bring Josh on first is Josh and I are uh, have very similar passions and very similar interests coming from different perspectives and different backgrounds. And uh, similar, if you've listened to my podcast in the back with Zach Beer that we did a year or so ago called um, Coach and Beer, um, where I was kind of the, uh, the coach of the group in terms of athletic coaching and Zach was more of the professional coach. Very similar here with Josh. And uh, Josh has been with us for maybe six months now and has a strong background in coaching and um, leading teams and some of the things we've talked about from episodes one to five or one to six up to this point. So with Josh being the first uh, guest on the show or on the podcast, um, welcome, Josh. Welcome to the podcast. And I appreciate you making time because uh, I know you are busy with a number of clients here in the St. Louis area, but I appreciate you spending at least 20, 30 minutes with us. It's 3.15. So we'll try to we'll try to time box this like I know you like to do. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. We will get going. Uh, there is a direction I kind of want to go uh, with some questions that have uh, been on my mind relative to sports. There's been some things that have happened in the sports world in the past four days, and I see it from a team perspective and a leadership perspective. And and when I uh, knew you were going to be on uh, today, it was kind of where my mind went. I really wanted your perspective on it. But before we get there, I wanted to just, I guess, let everybody know about you and your background and how you got into coaching and agile and teams and how that became a passion of yours. So, you know, we can go, it doesn't cost us anything to talk and to record this and to push it out. So you can go as long as you want, but I am interested to let everybody know about your background and, and how you, how you've ended up at Polaris, um, uh, you know, uh, in the past six months. Okay. Thanks. Um, so uh, the long story, the, Long and short of me getting into Agile was uh, I was leading some uh, projects when I was working for Target in Minneapolis, and I remember it always ended up being a slog at the end of the project where, you know, the the first half of the project, everything was great and everybody was having a good time. And then towards the end of construction, once we get started getting into testing, everybody was working every night. They were working on weekends. And it just always ended up being the worst thing ever. And I said, you know what, there's got to be a better way to do this. So uh, my boss at the time had just taken a scrum master exam and he asked me, he was like, Hey, are you interested in trying this scrum thing? And I said, sure, you know, I'll do anything. I got to try something different because this is insanity. Um, so, up, so up until this point, when you hit kind of the end of the, some of these projects, what, what was your role? What were you doing with these teams at Target? I was, uh, I was the program manager uh, for okay. all the projects. Yeah. So I was, I was responsible overall for the project and the planning and the budgeting and all that good news. Okay. Um, and I would, uh, you know, when we started up a new project, we decided we were going to use scrum on it and it was hugely successful. Uh, it was the first project that we delivered at target that, you know, was actually delivered on time, delivered on budget and the, and the customer internal, uh, target marketing was satisfied with the product. They said we built everything they needed and nothing they didn't. So we started uh, moving forward from there, and we started running all of our projects that way. And um, myself and my mentor, Eric, kind of got uh, pulled out of target marketing and pushed into different areas as everybody else wanted some of that goodness. Um, and I ended up in target.com having a lot of fun doing EDI, which 
is hard to do in an agile way, but it, it's possible. It's just, uh, it was hard for me to get people's heads wrapped around how to do it. And I didn't have enough experience at that point in time to really help them get there. Um, no, so up until that point, when you went from kind of this project manager to having somebody come to you and say, hey, let's try this agile scrum, you know, process uh, and that you've heard about, you had zero experience with kind of that agile, uh, that those agile practices at that point. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, so what I mean, I guess, so I guess what I'm getting at is how, how do you go from not knowing anything really about it, behaving a certain way, having your teams perform a certain way, deliver a certain way to now you have this great understanding of agile, like, did you just go to Barnes and Noble and go to Amazon, start reading and reading, buying books? Uh, no, it was actually, uh, I went and I took a, a scrum master class, um, which teaches you a lot about what scrum is, but doesn't teach you at all how to be a scrum master. Um, and I think it was shortly after that, that I really had that aha moment where it all started to click and make sense in my brain. Mm -hmm. And that was when I realized I can't control anything that's happening. Right. All I can do is give people the best information that I have and hope that they make the best decision that they can. And well, know that they're going to make the best decision they can, but hopefully their decision and my decision are the same. Mm -hmm. And if there's not, then I realize that there's a gap in communication and I'm not giving enough or good information to that person so that they can make the decision that, um, you know, we think is going to be the best thing forward. So that was probably the biggest thing for me is understanding, understanding that mm -hmm. there is no control. Um, you know, I have to give people the information that they need to be able to make a great decision. Right. So you went straight from that to releasing. So one of the, when I, uh, I got into some DevOps videos on YouTube and one of the better DevOps videos I saw was on the DevOps target transformation. And I forget the lady's name that led that DevOps charge. Uh, and it was at a conference that they gave in, um, uh, in San Francisco, uh, maybe maybe two years ago, I forget what it was called, uh, but it was fascinating. So for those that wind up do listening to the podcast, I will in show notes or something like that find you this link. It's a hour or some odd uh, video on YouTube. Um, I want it's not CES, but it's something along those lines, DevOps Enterprise or something along those lines. It's a phenomenal conference they have, but that the transformation that from to Agile and to DevOps and to this kind of uh, uh, continuous you know, pipeline of, of delivery uh, is really fascinating that Target did. So, um, but how did you, so you went from Target. I know we could go on and on about your background, how you got into that. And I would like to do that, but you ended up in St. Louis, did, but you didn't, uh, did you grow up in St. Louis and you went to Minneapolis and came back home? Um, I was, went to high school here. Um, oh, okay. And then went away to college and then came back and I've yo-yoed in St. Louis a few times. Okay. So then, uh, so the Agile, uh, you know, the principles and practices and, and how to run teams and products in that manner is truly a passion to you, but you're also involved with like, like life coaching and uh, business coaching and That's right. outside, just outside of IT coaching and team coaching, you have some other interests and passions that drive you as well, right? Yeah. I mean, I spent a lot of time um, as a scrum master working on projects because I really love the delivery aspect of it. Uh, and then I was working at a client and they had so many teams that I couldn't scrum master all of them. So they said, well, why don't you be the coach for these teams? And I said, okay, great. I'll be the coach for these teams. And, you know, realistically at first I thought that meant I was the super scrum master. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I learned, you know, after I left there, I learned really what coaching meant from an agile perspective and 
and how, you know, if you're doing, you're not coaching, you're doing. Um, and I really started maturing as a coach and that really want, made me want to pursue, pursue more of the coaching, um, you know, skills and background. And that's when I pursued a life coaching certification because the skill sets are very, very similar between uh, agile coaching and life coaching. Um, I would actually consider that agile coaching is more of a specific area of life coaching. In, in what way? Why, what would make you say that and draw those parallels? Uh, it's almost like a specialty um, because a lot of the skills that we use, I mean, we're changing mindsets, right? And when you have a life coach, what they're doing is they're helping you come to the realization um, that whatever you already know is the right way forward. Well, agile coaching is very similar. Most people in their daily life are doing things in an agile manner and they walk into this business world and they all of a sudden decide, hey, I can predict the future. I know what's going to happen. I know what the best thing is for these 27 people. But in reality, that's not true at all. And just like at home, you know, you plan a trip and right before the trip starts, you under, you look at the weather and you make sure it's still going to be a good time to take the trip if you can, you know, and you make a decision, do I postpone this trip or do I continue on this trip and, you know, modify what I'm bringing to make it okay. Uh, so that's how people would act. And, and, you know, it's just this weird thing that we walk into an office building and all of a sudden our brain turns off. Right. So um, and what do you do uh, other than maybe sharpening your saw a little bit professionally with uh, the infinite life coaching and life coaching that you do? How else do you leverage that uh, professionally, I guess, out of IT? Is that or did you really go into that just to make yourself maybe a better agile coach, a better team coach professionally? Or are there other passions you have uh, with that with that certification or training? Uh, I mean, realistically, I did it because of the passion for agile coaching, mm -hmm. um, and it has been incredibly helpful there, but it's also, you know, some people say it, it's, it's a little too touchy feely, um, which a lot of agile send, tends to end up getting in that direction anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's, it's allowed me to better deal with scenarios when I get into, uh, you know, where people are really struggling with the way they're thinking about problems. The life coaching skills really help me get them to come to a different place. Um, and, you know, they already know that it's the right thing. Otherwise, they would live their life differently. So it's just a, it's a, they're just a different, it's not even really a different set of tools. Um, it's just a different level of confidence, I guess, from from having that certification as well. Yeah, and um, one of our coworkers or colleagues, um, Clint Edmondson, um, I've done a number of seminars with him, talked to clients with him and teams and all that. And when him and I are just kind of doing retrospectives, I guess, just him and I sitting around talking shop, uh, the comment he likes to make is a lot of what we do is therapy. Like you're just, you're a therapist to these teams, <laughs> to these individuals and to executives and business people that you are, that uh, there is, and if you're into that, it, uh, it's fun, you know, and I do think there is a lot of therapy in, in coaching. Uh, at least my experiences in you know, my backgrounds in athletic coaching, but you are, you're sitting down and kind of acting like a therapist to a certain extent with some of the problems and overcoming certain things. Yeah. I've had many, I've had many, many customers, you know, we finish a meeting and they're like, God, I feel like I just had, you know, 30 minutes of therapy. Um, and uh, I've other, I've also had others be like, you know, I would say this is like therapy, but this is way more effective. 
Um, so, you know, it's just, you know, the big difference is that I don't deal with actual diagnosed, uh, mental health issues. (laughs) (laughs) At least you try not to, right? No, I try to run from those as fast as I can. All right. Not qualified. Yeah. So the, the question, I mean, we could, and I hope to have you on many, many other times and we can get, we can dive deeper into your background and the things you're learning and, uh, the things, how you can kind of draw parallels between, you know, your life coaching and your, your technical and agile coaching, which I find fascinating. Um, but something happened this week in basketball and I, I don't know your background athletically or in sports and my pod the podcast that we're running here will always kind of have an athletic spin to it. I, I will always consider myself a coach. Uh, I have been out of coaching in terms of receiving a paycheck from coaching for about 10 years now, uh, but still consider myself a ball coach at heart. Um, I, I, I love teams. I love building teams. I love having goals and uh, that we're reaching towards. Um, and so, but we do watch, I have two young boys. We watch a lot of basketball and the NBA finals have started. So I say all that, that I don't, I don't know your athletic background or interest or if you even know the NBA finals are going on. <laughs> no, I was, I was a football player. I was never, uh, uh, never basketball. Okay, well, something happened this week, and then when I knew you were coming on, it had me think about uh, about your background, how you would handle this, the importance of this, uh, what leadership looks like in a situation like this. And let me paint this scenario for you. Something happened in basketball in the NBA Finals in Game One this week that people are for for people that are listening that uh, do have a background in sports, they are comparing this blunder uh, to like. In the 1986, Bill Buckner was the first baseman for the Boston Red Sox, and all he had to do was catch the ball, a routine grounder between his legs. All he had to do was catch the ground ball, touch first base, and the Red Sox essentially would have won the World Series. But the ball went through his legs. And so forever, you know, um, he has been labeled kind of this, you know, goat or whatever you want to say, where he's just really blew the World Series for the Red Sox. Well, this past week, um, Game one of the game one of the uh, NBA Finals, um, a player J.R. Smith for the Cleveland Cavaliers is at the is uh, rebounding at the free throw line. He is not shooting the free throw. He is on off. He is on offense on the lane line to to rebound essentially. And G- George Hill takes the shot and misses it. Okay, the game is tied. There's three three or four seconds left in the game. Game is tied. George Hill essentially all he has to do is really make the free throw and they will win the game. He misses the free throw. Okay, J.R. Smith goes up and grabs the rebound. He is one foot from the basket. One foot. All he's got to do now is catch the ball and score, and they will essentially win game one, and they're huge underdogs in this series. For whatever reason, he forgets the score. He thinks they're winning. He grabs the ball, and instead of shooting to win the game, he dribbles all the way out to half court, clock expires, and they go to overtime and lose by 15. Okay, so that's what happened this week. And he's just getting crushed for it. Like, you've got to know time and score. You've got to know it was a tie game. You could have won the game, all this sort of stuff. So that doesn't seem like there's any sort of leadership, coaching, things like that. But as I watch that happen, I'm, I'm always watching the best players even the role players, I'm watching the team, I'm watching the coaches, and I am I am locked in as I'm watching this to see how people respond to him. Okay, so to circle this back to a professional example, here's a very good player. This is a, a very good member of your team. You need him. 
You need him to either deliver software, to make a great sale, to go get money, to network, whatever it might be. And he has messed up. He has messed up big. And I'm wondering, like, if you've ever been in a situation like that or seen experiences like that where, where somebody makes a mistake so bad, but they feel all alone, if that makes sense. You know, like nobody defended him. Nobody came to him. No coach came to him and put their arm around him. Nobody, everybody was yelling at him and they need him. And so that resonated with me as far as like a leader. Like I'm wondering where the leadership was. I'm wondering where the coaches were. I'm wondering where the best player was. And I'm wondering, like, have you seen that in coaching, either in your life, any coaching experience that you have in terms of professional where, you know, somebody just yeah. drops the ball and, and, and they're just either, there's one of two things that are going to happen. Either the team is just going to say, well, that guy just sucks and he deserves it. And, and oh, now yeah. we have a built-in excuse on why the product wasn't ready or why we didn't get the sale or why we didn't make money. Or it's like, you know, this idea of we, we messed up and it's not his fault. And you kind of come to his defense and kind of put your arm around him. Uh, so he doesn't feel that luggage, right? He's going to carry that around for a long time. And I, that's a long story, but it, it happened this week. And it, th th those situations always resonate with me because I'm always looking at the leadership and the coaching. Yeah, so, I mean, that's long-winded and that's a lot of talking by me, but what are your opinions <laughs> on that? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. That's, that's something I see actually quite a lot because, um, you know, we have an organization or a, uh, a culture where we incent people on their individual performance um, in the workplace, right? You have your per personal uh, goals, you have your personal uh, performance reviews, and we haven't migrated to um, a situation where people are incented based on the performance of the team. Mm -hmm. So very much i see that a lot you know it's it doesn't matter if if um you screwed up as long as i get mine right. and as long and you know that's a huge failure of leadership in my opinion to allow that kind of thing to happen so you know for this basketball player for example the right thing for to happen would have been for the coach to stand up and say no 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 dude was doing the best that he could he was acting in what he thought was the best interests of the team. And he was doing the best job he could with the knowledge he had available to him at the time. And you know what? People screw up. There's got to be that, that freedom to fail or else people will never try to, you know, hit for the fences. Because, you know, if you don't feel like you can screw up, then you're never going to put yourself out there and try that extra little bit. That's what makes people and teams great. So do you feel that, uh, that great teams, coaches, leadership, take that on? And uh, here's kind of yeah, my point. I'm, I'm wondering why, like the coach didn't say, you know what? He thought we were winning. He did. He thought we were up 108 to 107 and it's not his fault. I should have told everybody else what the score. Was. I should have been very vocal about time and score on the floor. That's, that's not on him. That's on me or the best player saying the same thing, right? I'm wondering how much of that, now to your point about that, we, it's an incent society in terms of that stuff. Like it's all about me and there's not a lot of accountability. There's not a, a fair amount of, you know, it's protecting your skin, so to speak. I'm wondering why we can't be more like that. Like, uh, 
as teams and, and maybe we're not, maybe you can be, or maybe special teams are, what, what have you seen professionally with great teams? Like, do they step up and say, Hey, that's not George's fault. That's my fault. I, I think, I think teams will be as good as their leadership allows them to be. Um, and what I say by that is if you're, if you're in an organization where your leader um, comes down hard on people for any kind of mistake, even if it's not as big as the one that this guy with the, the basketball team made, you know, then nobody's going to stretch and that team's not going to be very good. They're not going to go out of their way to try something new. They're not going to be innovative. Um, but if you have a leader that gives you room to fail, gives you the autonomy to figure out how to fix problems that, um, you know, gives you the information you need to be able to make the best decision. Um, those teams are going to go places, even if you don't have all A players on that team. You know, um, it's sometimes having a team of the ultra superstars is the worst possible configuration because they're all in it for themselves and they're not going to be team players. I'd rather have a whole bunch of B players that are willing to work together than have a whole bunch of A plus players that don't want to work together at all. And that's, that's again, that's a, that's a leadership thing. You know, the, what sometimes you, you hear, what is it? Um, the, the best leaders will uh, deflect praise to the team and take on all the um, complaints, right? They'll, they'll shield the team from that because, you know, the screw-ups are theirs, the wins belong to the team. Right. Yeah, I do think that in terms of coaching, that, is, uh, that has always been kind of in my mindset. You know, like they, 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 we lost, it's on me, you know, publicly, you know, and then even privately you sit there and take it on, but you do challenge them to get better. One of the phrases that you've made me think of when you were uh, saying some of that is this idea, because what now my mind is thinking about how do you, how do you create that culture? How do you create that accountability and uh, that togetherness where it's, we're all in this together. It's not necessarily so-and-so's fault. And it has me thinking about two phrases and one is um, shared suffering and shared ownership. So those are two phrases that I used to use a lot. Like, you know, the people that suffer together uh, uh, will be there, be there essentially for one another. I think my football coach uh, subscribed to that as well. Yeah. So it's like, hey, we're going to suffer together, right? One person makes a mistake. We all make a mistake and we're all going to suffer. But there's there's something about sweating together, bleeding together. Now we're talking athletics you now. Uh, but I think those are ideas that you can have on professional teams. And I think you, you, you essentially said all those things I was thinking about, but this, this shared ownership, um, you know, if somebody, but I want, I guess my question to you is, I wonder how you develop that in a culture. I wonder how that mindset so, of, no, it's not Josh's fault. Yeah. I mean, you could say this at the 11th hour, we're getting ready to release some software and Josh, you could look at it, the Josh, but you know what? I made a mistake like day one that cost us six hours or cost us two weeks, whatever it might be, but nobody sees that because we're at the finish line, right? It, it always amazes me in sports that we ridicule and get after the guy that messes up when there's two seconds on the clock instead of the guy that messes up when there's 12 minutes on the clock. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I wonder- well, yeah, There's more pressure, right? And there, there's more on the line when that two seconds guy messes up than when the 12 minutes guy messes up. You have more time to recover. Right. But, you know, what's what's interesting is in the current workplace, right, we all, you know, you work in offices, you work on distributed teams where people are all over the world, and, you know, so-and-so is just a, a voice on the end of the phone to me. So it becomes very easy to 
you know, not, uh, you know, give those people uh, attributes of humans. You know, you don't think of them as other people. You think of this disembodied voice on the end of the phone. So the first thing that you have to do is to create a human connection between these people. Um, I, I just actually finished writing a, or published a blog post last week about how to create that humanity between team members. And that's to do something called a journey or not a journey map. Well, journey map is one way to call it. Uh, if you're not talking from a UX perspective, uh, another way to call it is a, is an empathy map. And it's like, how did I get here? You know, where did I come from? What did I do? What, what are my life experiences? And that's a great kickstart tool to get people to start to identify with each other as humans that have wants, needs, desires, and they have screwed up and stuff like that. And once you've created that, it makes it so much easier for the team to allow each other to screw up or even better when they see somebody screwing up instead of being like, oh man, that's going to suck for him when everybody finds out about that. They actually jump in and they say, hey man, I see this happening. How can I help you not have that outcome. Let me jump in here. Uh, the people that end up listening to us, the empathy mapping that uh, Josh is talking about, I've never heard about it. And I will say this, and you, you've said two things that are resonating with me, your life coaching and how you're incorporating that into your agile and teams and uh, your professional life. Uh, you've made the comment that some of it, you may not have used this word, but some of it is kind of hokey or fluffy or whatever it might be. I've heard those phrases before. I, I And I'm going to say this. I kind of agree with that. And I struggle with some of that stuff and I'm getting better at it. Um, but Josh and I are a part of a group that meets every two weeks on a Tuesday night or something. And we sit and talk about um, agile and coaching and teams and some of these things and how we can get better. And a week or so ago, we did do the empathy mapping. Is that what it's called? Empathy mapping? Yeah. And, I called it journey mapping for that night, but it's actually, it, it's both. Right. And I, and I was like, oh boy, here we go. Here's something, something fluffy, something hokey. Here we go. And I thought it was great uh, because the uh, a few of the things that, and, and we could go on and just have a podcast where we just talk about that. Um, but to kind of wrap around, uh, around this, um, it does, one of the big things for me with teams and with people and with organizations is that connectedness. How quickly can we come together? How quickly can we trust one another? How quickly can we be kind of vulnerable and talk and be and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Those, those sorts of things. And I think that exercise you had us go through was really good, uh, really good. Like I really appreciate, I think everybody else did. And that's, I don't know if that is a infinite life thing or, or where you got that from, if that's you know uh, another coaching thing that you picked up, but, it, but I, I think it's really valuable. Yeah, Nikki Oberdoss actually taught me that one. Um, she did that with us. I was on a team of coaches, and we were all very dysfunctional together. And she had us do the empathy mapping, and it made a huge impact on the team and our ability to actually, well, we weren't even really a team. We were just a group. But mm -hmm. it made us all, like, be able to interact with each other in a way that, you know, was a lot more respectful. Right. Because we had an idea of, of where everybody came from and what they'd done to get there. Right. The one, I, I, I subscribe, I'm on Twitter a lot, um, and I'll let you plug your Twitter handle here in a sec, but I'm on Twitter a lot, and I subscribe to a lot of coaching people and, you know, and all these little, you know, images that come up with text on them and all that. And it said something along the lines, I won't get it right, but uh, along the lines of, you know, coach carefully, you know, everybody's got baggage that they're carrying, and you just don't know what that baggage is. So it's, you know, that, that whole yep. idea of um, 
you know, you're trying to connect with people. We're trying to get outcomes. We're trying to run businesses. We're trying to sell products and we're trying to, uh, and we're trying to enjoy our professional lives and a way to kind of connect. Uh, and, and I thought that was a great way to connect. We got off base a little bit with that, but when you mentioned that, I thought that was um, for people listening, um, you know, journey mapping, empathy mapping, um, look at, look it up and uh, try to do something, a, a similar practice with your teams, I think is beneficial to get them connected. So, um, but I wanted to just, one, I wanted to bring you on, Josh. That's, you know, I, I didn't want to, uh, one thing about what we do at Polaris is we do time box everything. Like, hey, we're going to do this for this long. I have a tendency to ramble and we could go on and on and on, but I've been told the feedback I have received on the podcast is to keep the, keep, uh, do a lot of short episodes. So I could keep you on for another hour, but people may not listen after after 30 or so minutes. So we'll have to do this again. But the, the, the point I wanted, one, I wanted to introduce you because I think uh, I'd like to have you on uh, as much as possible because I, I think you have great insights professionally, personally with the passions that you have in terms of coaching and leading, motivation, uh, uh, being a therapist to a certain extent with the people you work with. Um, but, but I really wanted your in, input on what I saw happen in the sports world in terms of just leadership. So, um, and the idea of being, you know, somebody needs to step up to the occasion to protect the team, protect individuals. Um, to you know, the idea that I kind of took from you is is that whole being connected and making sure that nobody is carrying too much of that weight and too much of that baggage when bad things happen. That uh, kind of that idea of shared ownership uh, and and shared ownership of a product or an organization or whatever it is. So. Um, but anything else? Why don't you go ahead and plug plug your social media? Because I know you're active on LinkedIn. You're active on Twitter. Um, I'm not sure what other platforms you use, but I know I'm connected yeah. with you on those too. Go ahead. I'm, I'm mostly only uh, act, I'm most active on LinkedIn. I am on Twitter on occasion at uh, ASU Josh One. Um, yeah. Outside of that, uh, just mostly on the, the LinkedIn writing and uh, and posting. Okay. So. Uh, I, I would encourage anybody listening. We do get actually uh, the podcast, even though we're six or so episodes in, we're getting a number of people listening and DMing me on Twitter and all that. So I'd encourage you to track Josh down on LinkedIn and Twitter um, and uh, get, get a dialogue going with him and read all. And you blog a fair amount as well, which is great. Um, and uh, on a lot of similar things that we've discussed here today. So um, track him down on LinkedIn. Josh, I appreciate your time and, um, and we'll connect and have you back on here shortly. Thanks a lot. See ya. Perfect. All right. Thanks.